Welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast, coming to you from Hidden Acres Christian Center in Dayton, Iowa. Today, we're pleased to bring you all four chapel messages from our 2023 men's retreat. The chapel speaker was Mark Vance from Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa. This is from chapel session number one, which was on Friday evening, January 20th, 2023. The title is Undefiled by the World from Daniel 1. It starts with an introduction by our very own Ryan Graydon. Enjoy! But I'm, I am pleased uh, to, to introduce Mark Vance. I met Mark years ago when he came um, to Cornerstone running Salt Company. And he was a cool guy back then. He still is a cool guy now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Mark has actually been uh, a speaker of ours for our senior high week um, during summer camp a few times now and has been well-received. And so... Uh, I, I asked him uh, months ago if he'd be interested in doing this, and he, and he said, you bet. Um, so uh, with that, I'll turn it over to you, Mark. Thank you, Appreciate it. Well, good evening to all of you guys. Good to be with you. My name's Mark Vance. If I haven't met you guys, hopefully we'll have the chance to cross paths through the weekend. I'll try to make sure I get here. Uh, Ames, Iowa is home for me if you're a Hawkeye fan. Um, I grew up a Hawkeye fan. Uh, don't tell people in Ames, okay? So th- that's all I need to say there. Um, no, but I, I do root for the Cyclones now. And I, so this little known fact, I'm just going to tell you this. So um, Brock Purdy is actually a, a Salt Company, uh, Salt Company's College Ministry of our church had the chance to serve as director that Brock was one of our student leaders last year. Okay, so he was a student leader for SALT through his time, attended Cornerstone, and actually he was supposed to, before Brock started as the starting quarterback of the 49ers because Garoppolo got hurt, the day after that, one of our staffers and him were planning to Zoom because he's dating a girl from SALT and it's getting a little more serious, and he was like, you know, I need some advice on life. Garoppolo gets injured. He goes in as a starting quarterback, ends up having to call our staff and be like, I'm going to have to reschedule because some stuff's come up. And if Brock keeps going, we're going to have a Salt Company student in the Hall of Fame. So that's all I think. So I'm, 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 yeah, definitely I've become an Iowa State fan over time because you get to know so many of the people in Ames. But, um, yeah, I'm a 49ers fan as long as Brock keeps going. So let's hope the Niners win, okay? Sorry to all you Cowboys fans, but if you're a Christian, you should work root for Brock Purdy. I'm, just, I'm not, like, getting into that. I want to be mean about it, you know? I just want to question your faith a little bit. I don't want to be a jerk. If you want to grab your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to spend our time together this weekend. The book of Daniel. It's a familiar book. Uh, a book that uh, has some just the incredible stories. If you grew up in the church, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We're going to hit all of those because I think that God has a word for us about what it looks like to live as men who are faithful to Christ in the midst of a difficult generation. Men who are faithful to Christ, no matter the pressure the culture puts on you, you need biblical models and heroes to, as a sort of men that you aspire to be, the men that God calls us to be to lead our families, our churches, our communities. And so I hope the example of, Christ, of Daniel is going to inspire us about what it means to live as a faithful presence for Christ, even in the middle of a world that, like Babylon, is going to fight against all the values 
that Christ would call us to. So I'm hoping that our time there together will be fruitful. It is a privilege for me to be with you guys. And so what we're going to do is open Daniel, each of our sessions together, so it'll make it easy. You can put a little marker there in your Bible or on your app. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. And I want to give you the roadmap for where we're going. So if you do happen to have picked up a program and you happen to be one of those rare men who does take notes, I'm going to tell you where we're going. All right? Here's the roadmap. I want to give you a little background first off about the book, what the book of Daniel is about and where it kind of sits in history. We'll do a little bit of that work. Then secondly, we need to look at Daniel's resolve to remain undefiled. So Daniel's resolve, then Daniel's posture. How does he go about remaining undefiled even under the pressures of Babylon and ultimately the reward of God? So the resolve of Daniel, the posture of Daniel, and the reward of God. So first off, Let's start reading Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, okay? So follow along with me here. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim of Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon to the house of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So hit pause here. Just to give you where we're at in the book of Daniel in Israel's history, this is the end of the reign of Israel's kings. God called Israel as his special people. They rebel against his rule. They break his word. And ultimately, God has been telling them through the prophets, I'm going to send you into a place of punishment, into exile. Babylon comes in, they conquer. They take Jehoiakim, the ruling class, captive. The Babylonians would have installed then kind of like a puppet king back in Israel. His name is Zedekiah. But then after Zedekiah rebels, Nebuchadnezzar comes back in and just wipes the whole thing out. Burns Jerusalem, burns the temple, tears down the walls. Actually, with Zedekiah, he killed his sons in front of him and then blinded him. So the last living image Zedekiah would have as he's alive is of Nebuchadnezzar killing his family. The Babylonians are brutal. Daniel is part of the ruling class that they take out of Jerusalem and take back over to Babylon. And in verse 3, this is what they do once you're a kind of captive in Babylon. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family, from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking Suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The Babylonian culture would be infused into these captives. And the king had assigned them daily provisions from the royal food, from the wine that he, the king, drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they would attend to the king. Among them, from the Judites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief unit gave them names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Okay, so let's hit pause here. When Babylon comes in, and they fight against you, what they do, they don't just conquer and burn down the territory. They want to take the best of the culture they conquered back to Babylon with them. 
So um, we'll read later in the story of Daniel that the uh, articles from the temple of gold and silver they had brought back to Babylon, but they don't just bring back the best things, they bring back the best people. So they have kidnapped, in effect, these young men from Israel, brought them in so that their goal is to assimilate the best people of the conquered land to stop being Israelites and start being Babylonians. This is a project of cultural genocide. They want to kill the Israelite culture and assimilate it fully into Babylon. And the goal is to actually transform the captives into Babylonian leaders. They want to take everything that they have as tools of cultural assimilation to win them over to transfer their loyalty from the God of Israel to the king of Babylon. So here's what they do. They give them great food. They give them wine from the king. They school them in the language and the ways of Babylon. They are taking them and trying to press them into the mold of the world of Babylon. Take all of your old allegiances and transfer them. They even changed their names. Just a little significance here. Observation on the names. Daniel, his name means God is my judge in Hebrew. Hananiah in Hebrew means God is gracious. Mishael, who is like what God is. Azariah, Yahweh is our helper. They changed the names to names that actually no longer honor Yahweh, the God of Israel, but the Babylonian gods. For instance, Mishael really strikes me. Mishael is changed to Meshach. The name Meshach means that, this. It changes from who is like the Lord to Meshach, meaning who is like Aku, the Babylonian god. See what they're doing? In the very names of these young leaders, they're saying, who you once were is gone. We need to squeeze you into the mold of Babylon. O.S. Hawkins, in his book on Daniel, says this, their language, their literature, their lifestyle, and ultimately their loyalty were being turned away from God. That's what's happening. So into that background, now here it is, Daniel's resolve, first point. His resolve is this, verse 8. Daniel determined, he resolved, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your face is looking thinner than other young men your age? Little side note, okay. Modern age, we really value like thinness is like an expression of health. That's not true in the ancient world where people who have lots of food and eat lots of food get a bulk up a little bit. So actually they saw the chubby guy as like really healthy and you have a skinny marathon runner, they would have thought, what are you not eating? Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so you can take that back home if your wife's on you for a diet. You can be like, no, and the ancient world actually, biblical times, they thought this was a sign of honor, you know, so Okay. What if Caesar's face is looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. Verse 11. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, test your servants for 10 days. Please, just 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. No smoked pork dinners here, all right? Then examine our appearance. And the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. Let me eat only water and vegetables. I did read about this recently. Something like the Daniel diet. Have you heard about this? Just This is not a dieting plan. 
This is a you know, expression. This is not a diet recommendation. This is an act of faith. And friends, I just want to remind you how difficult this would have been for Daniel and his friends. They had just watched everything of their whole life torn away. And I don't know what you do when you're feeling stressed, but I like to eat. You ever notice that? Like when you're really stressed, a salad is not what you want when you're under pressure. I want to eat cheese balls. I want to eat cheese that is breaded and fried. That's not healthy food. So Daniel, he's underneath the pressure. He's going to want the food the king's putting in front of him. And just to be clear, that's the best food you could possibly get. This is the king of Babylon. He's the king of the world functionally. You're talking about the White House dinners. You've got the buffet of the king of the world. That's what he's being offered. He says, no, thank you. Brussels sprouts. Really? Okay, and of all the things, why is food so significant? Of all the things happening, why not resist the name change? Why say, I'm not going to go by Belshazzar, I'm not doing that. Mishael, no, he's keeping Mishael, not Meshach. Why don't they fight on the names? Why do they fight on the food? Well, the key here is just look back, verse 8 again. Let's peek a look at the word here. It says, Daniel determined he would not defile himself. The word defile is probably key here. Why food is so important. The word defile is connected to ritual purity. So in the Old Testament, God gives his people Israel strict dietary laws. You don't eat pork. You don't eat uh, meat that's not prepared properly, shellfish, out of bounds. Okay, no shrimp, things like that. And those food laws were given by God not just because he cares about people being kosher. No, I'm going to read you a quote from the English Standard Version Study Bible here. It says, Daniel and his friends avoided luxurious diets of the king's table as a way to protect themselves from being ensnared by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. Their distinctive diet was a way to maintain their distinctive identity. Okay. Israel's distinctive diet was a way to say the other nations eat like this, but you are a people holy unto God. You're set apart from God. And so because you're set apart for God, away from the rest of the nations, you're going to live a different way. A distinctive diet was an expression of a distinctive identity. Food was a daily reminder. What, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer every day? Give us today our daily bread. What was Nebuchadnezzar doing for Daniel and his friends? Every day he was saying, I'll tell you who gives you your daily bread. Not the God of heaven, but the king of Babylon. I'm your provider. They ate from his table and ate from his food. If they did that every single day, they would have reinforced to themselves as exiles in Babylon that God was no longer king over them, Nebuchadnezzar was. So to retain their distinctive identity as God's people... They decided to have a distinctive diet. They weren't going to eat food that could be contaminated. They weren't going to be defiled outside of God's ways. Okay, so let's just pause here. We're going to apply this a little bit. And it's not an application to diet. We're not doing that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is a good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the world. That word, literally the picture in Romans that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12 says, don't get squeezed into the mold the world is trying to shape you into. There was a mold the king of Babylon had for Daniel. He wanted to transform him into a Babylonian. This is the way it's going to look. I'm going to squeeze you into this mold. A way of thinking and acting and living. Look, if you're going to actually decide, men, to follow God with your life, as a Christian, you're going to actually have to live different from the world. You actually have to be different. Now, I've seen this principle applied some weird ways. I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist household, which if there's any fundamentalist Baptists in the room, you get that you're weird already, and I love you for it, okay? I do. I love you. But I grew up, you know, like this sort of thing, like if you played cards, you couldn't ever play cards unless it was Rook because the cards were used for gambling. We had distinctive ways that women dressed from men. We didn't listen to jazz music. That one really threw my non-Christian friends for a loop. They're like, you can't listen to soft jazz? What is going to happen? I'm like, well, it's pretty sensual, man. Okay, so... We had a series of rules that didn't make us distinctively Christian, just made us weird, okay? And guys, can we just own this, Christians? We do some weird junk that doesn't have anything really to do with just following Jesus, just, just weird, okay? This isn't a command to be weird, it's a command to be holy, Okay, the challenge is not how do we look different by just being odd. The challenge here is what's a distinctive way of living in obedience to God's commands that's going to make us different from the world around. We're called to be salt and light in the world but not of the world, different from the world for the sake of the world because a Christianity that is exactly like the world is of no good to the world. I'm concerned because when I look at most Christians, here's the honest reality. We aren't different from the world at all. Men, I want you to think about your life genuinely. And if somebody had followed you around all week long and watched you watch the same ridiculous cable TV news, laugh at the same sort of immorality that the rest of the world laughs at, Spend your money the same way the world spends it. Discipline your kids the same way the world disciplines their kids. If somebody wandered around, here's the question I have to ask you. If someone who didn't know Jesus actually just walked around with you, could they tell at all that you're a follower of Christ other than the two unusual hours on Sunday morning? Like, is there anything really that different about you? Has Jesus changed the way you talk? the way you walk, what you laugh at? Is your life filled with the fruit of his spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control? If people stalked your life, would they know you follow Christ? That's what it means to remain undefiled, to be distinctively different. And you need to know this, there will always be a pressure on your life to conform to the world. Always. 
I directed Salt Company, our college ministry at Cornerstone. We have tons of students who come to the Iowa State campus, right? And for those students, if you're a freshman coming to Iowa State, within your first week, you're going to make some decisions about what following Jesus will look like for you. You're going to get invited to party. You're going to get invited. You've got a choice about whether you're going to party on Friday, go to church on Sunday, and try to pray the guilt away while living a lifestyle that denies Christ the rest of the week. You have to make choices. You're going to have to make choices in this age, guys. Because increasingly, the culture is going to press you into a mold that is against God's standards. Just simply take sexual morality. No one in the world has a problem with you looking at porn, but Jesus does. You're going to have to swim a different direction. Sexual morality, the current agenda, running homosexuality as if this thing that should be affirmed and celebrated when God says this is against his standard. You cannot just swim the tide of the world and stay faithful to Christ. It won't make it. Talk about your money. Look, we live in the richest culture, the richest society that's ever existed in the history of the world. We would make the Babylonians look like beggars. And yet the majority of Christians spend their money and give their money exactly the same way as everybody else in the selfish world. And then we wonder why people don't see any difference. I'm just going to ask you, maybe you want to talk about this with your guys You want to look at your life and just look at each area and say, is Jesus distinctively shaping every part of who I am? Am I conformed to Christ or conformed to Babylon? Conformed to America? Conformed to the values of a kingdom that's not God's? Has Jesus shaped the way I talk, the way I think? If I'm married, the way my marriage works. If I'm a parent, the way I parent. Does he shape the way I work? Does he shape the way I worship? Does he shape every aspect of your life? Because if he's not Lord over it all, he's really not Lord at all. Jesus is not interested in a minority share of the ownership of your life. He wants to own the whole thing. So the question is, are you distinctively different because of your distinctive commitment to Christ? That's what being undefiled meant. Daniel's not interested in a diet because of vegetables. It's because of a resolve that he can't be squeezed into the mold of Babylon. So men, tonight, I didn't really decide to pull any punches, did I? I'm like, first thing out the gate. Let's just be honest here. We have a weekend away from your wives. I got four talks. So we don't have time to mess around. Are you going to be different or not, men? We need to not only see Daniel's resolve, though. He has a fierce, unflinching conviction, commitment to follow the God of Israel no matter what. But not only do I want you to see his resolve, I actually want to also point you to his posture. Here's what I mean by his posture. When he says, I'm not eating the food, he doesn't walk in and go, I'm not eating that food, sacrifice, flip tables, start screaming. There's a gentleness in the way he stands for Christ that also we need to pay attention to. Let's look again, verse 8. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission. I'm not going to tell you to underline those words in your Bible. I just want you to underline them in your mind. Just note that. 
Daniel resolves, I will not be defiled. So I would expect him not to ask permission, but to give a declaration. Now listen, eunuch, I'm telling you what I'm doing, and it's not even that. Instead, I'm going to ask permission. That's not the way, like the resolve-filled hunger strike I would have seen going. I would have seen that being a little more firm. So he asks permission of the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God granted Daniel kindness. Look even down. He's going to talk to the guard later. Verse 11. He said to the guard that the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, please, please test your servants for 10 days. He asks for a 10-day test. He doesn't go on a forever hunger fast. Here, I'm just going to give you this observation. You're going to see this line through the whole story of Daniel, the whole book. He says, please, he asks permission of the evil empire of Babylon. You notice that? He's gentle in his opposition. He could have been rejected. He could have been turned down. And it's even important to note this. While Daniel is refusing to be conformed into the image of Babylon, he was willing to compromise on a number of things, wasn't he, guys? He wouldn't be defiled because God had said something about food. But they actually let people call them by the different names. The names are changed. They attended the classes in the kingdom of Babylon. Ultimately, Daniel will end up being a high-ranking official in the kingdom of Babylon. That's a little like, I don't know, guys, if you've ever heard of this thing called Star Wars. It's like a fantasy movie series. It's a big deal in the 80s. And um, in Star Wars, in effect, guys, Daniel is going to become like number two to Darth Vader. Do you get it? He's going to serve the king of Babylon. He doesn't lead a rebellion to tear apart the Babylonian empire. That's a really unusual thing, isn't it? This, this king has literally burned the temple of God to the ground, killed the majority of people related to Daniel, right? He just got done with the prior king in Israel, gouging the dude's eyes out after he massacred his family, and Daniel's going to humbly serve that guy. It's an interesting thing to think about. How is it that he can maintain his distinctive principles and commitment to God and yet participate in the evil empire of Babylon. Do you feel the tension, guys? I think Daniel would have every day. Here's the lesson. We can and should be different from the world men, but we shouldn't just be dis- different and distinctive in our moral commitments we to like stand in holiness we should be different and distinctive in our commitment to love to live with humility to be gracious and kind and compassionate living faithfully not only involves an unflinching resolve to never compromise commitment to Christ to never compromise holiness it also involves An unflinching attitude of compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Guys, it's so easy. It's so easy in a culture that can be so opposed to the values of Christ to begin to think that you are at war with your neighbor instead of having compassion on those who have been taken captive. It's so easy to see my neighbor is the enemy, not my neighbor is a mission field. 
Daniel can maintain this. Here's, here's the way 1 Peter says it. You don't have to turn there, but you might want to write these verses down. This should be like a motto for how we live in the world today, friends. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. Speaking about the temptation to compromise in the world, says it this way. Do not fear or be intimidated, but in your heart regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You know what the very next verse says? Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, with compassion, with kindness, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Peter just said this, men, stand for Christ gently. There's no guarantee, by the way, that gentleness or humility will gain you cultural influence or respect. But if you want to follow Jesus, you can't just rip on the evil of the world. You have to love your neighbor. So I live in Ames. It's a great town. It's a college town. So it's kind of full of liberal nut jobs and wackos. And, <laughs> and I love them to death. They're my neighbors. And... They're great, you know, but we're just come from very different places. So as a pastor speaking about matters of sexuality and saying God says very clearly in his world that homosexuality is, practicing homosexuality is sinful, okay? It's, this is not a position that, by the way, Christians, is up for debate. This has been clear from the scripture, agreed upon by every branch of Christendom for millennia. We're not debating this one. This is already settled, Okay. And so I can't compromise on being faithful to historic Christian teaching rooted in Scripture just because the culture around me doesn't think that's kind. But I have to hold those convictions kindly. But that still means people show up and protest me. We picket things that we've done at church. One of the joyful times was when they went and handed out flyers about how I was a misogynistic, homophobic bigot at my children's elementary school. That was a lot of fun for my kids. And here's the thing. I was able to sit down over coffee with the person involved in doing that and listen to their story. And you know what? They have a lot of hurt from Christians. They have a lot of pain. In fact, I actually really get why they would be mad. But by sitting down kindly and instead of saying, stop doing what you're doing, instead saying, share your story to me. Can I hear how you as a person made in God's image are hurting? I have the chance to give an answer for the hope that's within me, yet with gentleness. I think sometimes we need to really be challenged to stand for Christ. But sometimes men, and probably for some of us in this room, we need to be reminded standing for Christ with anger is a contradiction. You have no permission from Jesus to compromise on your values, nor do you have any permission from Jesus to be angry, mean, and sinfully hate those who are opposed to him. Jesus laid his life down in love for his enemies. That's our model, not a politician this crucified Christ, so we will follow him and stand with conviction 
gently, gently. Daniel is a model of that, right? It is going to be incredibly difficult, men, to stand for Christ in areas of conviction in your life. Every man in this room, I know that you know there are places where actually you sense being squeezed into the mold of the world where you need to actually tonight begin to have an honest look in the mirror and say, I'm getting, I'm getting pressed into the mold of the world in this way. I shouldn't go there. That's going to be really hard. It's also going to be really hard when in the cultural moment around us we feel pressure, when we feel actually pushed into a corner to respond with gentleness and kindness always. That will also be very difficult. That's the difficulty of being faithful, guys. It's hard either way you go. There's a couple different ways you can respond in that. I want you to think about how Christians relate to the world just for a second. If I were drawing this out on a chart, I'd have it all beautiful, but I'm not going to draw it out. I'm just going to describe it. On one side, you have Christians who are deeply committed to, we'll call it cultural relevance, engaging with their neighbor, like cultural engagement, but also Christians who are deeply committed to a countercultural identity for Jesus. Daniel is the model of both of those, right? He is both distinctively committed to God and distinctively committed to love his neighbor. I'm going to call that being for the city. For the city. A distinctive commitment to God and a distinctive commitment to your neighbor. On the, like the opposite corner of that is people who really don't care all that much about distinctively Christian values, nor do they really love their neighbor all that much. They just kind of want to be left alone. I call that a Christian who's in the city. That means like you share the same zip code with people, but you don't really care. You do you, I do me, whatever. Don't create waves. Now on the bottom, there's a group of Christians who desperately care about trying to, I don't even think we can call them Christians, you'll understand in a second, who desperately care about being relevant to the city around them, connected to their neighbors, but who have less, left their distinctive Christian identities. Well, in that case, you're not for the city, you're in the city, you are now of the city. You're no longer different from the world. You're just preaching the same values of the world with Jesus' name on it. I mean, all throughout my town of Ames, guys, my heart breaks because I walk across Iowa State campus and ringed around our campus, guys, there are churches that are museums where the Holy Spirit used to live. They have posted a rainbow flag outside their door and compromised on the teaching of Scripture to maintain a place of cultural relevance. They're of the city, assimilated into Babylon. There's another position too, though, right? Committed to a distinctive Christian identity, but absolutely against the city around them. That's against the city. A fortress mentality. My neighbors, it's a cultural battlefield, and I need to win the war. Here's the challenge. To be for the city, not against the city, not just in the city, not assimilated of and just absorbed into the values of the city, but to live a distinctive Christian commitment to Christ and to love my neighbor. Where has God put you in life where you're supposed to be faithful is a presence for Christ? Faithful to distinctively hold a commitment to holiness, to the values of God's kingdom, and faithful to distinctively display honor, gentleness, and kindness even when a world hates you. 
What's the reward of all of that? Let's look at verse 15. How's the diet go for Daniel? At the end of the 10 days, he looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time, the king had said to present them. The chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found to equal Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in the entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's an incredible challenge. I want you to consider throughout this time what it's going to look like for you to leave this weekend with a resolve to be faithful. That's the word of the weekend. Faithful like Daniel. You know what that's going to take? We saw two things tonight. A resolve like Daniel that says, I will not be squeezed into the mold of the world. I will follow Christ. And it will take learning how to live with the posture, the attitude, the humility of Daniel, where you'll lay your life down in love for your neighbor. If you will do so, you may not be promoted, but you'll earn the reward of the one king who you actually need to please, not Nebuchadnezzar, but the king of heaven. And it's his reward that Daniel we will begin to see worked out in his life. So guys, let me pray for us. But as I pray, I just want you thinking, every session I'm going to end asking you this question as we go to prayer. What did God say to you through his word? And what should you do about it? What did God say to you? And what should you do about it? So Father, thank you for the example of Daniel. His faithfulness in a time of pressure and difficulty is remarkable. And God, there's so much in how he lived that's instructive to us in this day and age. God, there, I pray for these men to remain faithful. Would you speak to them about areas of small compromise that could lead them away from Christ? And Father, I pray as well that you would help us to remain not only faithful, but gentle. Sometimes it's gentleness that's harder. So men, just as we take a moment before we finish with the song of worship, I just really want to give you a second to pause and answer that question that I asked earlier. To say to God, God, what, what do you want to say to me? Ask yourself that question. What is God saying to me? Then as you consider that answer, one final step, what should you do about what God said? So Father, we invite you to speak. We're your servants. We're listening. When you speak, we'll respond. We ask you to change us, conform us into the image of your son through your word. We ask it in his name. Amen.